And I think a lot of the times when we're looking at stress and anxiety, we can't actually remove all triggers. Otherwise, we're going to be shell of a human being and it's not going to be good for us. So we've got to understand if we can't remove it, how can we cope with it? Welcome to The Change, where we share stories and inspiration from servant leaders working to normalize the mental health conversation and increase empathy in business. I'm your host, Adam Baru. Today, our guest is Katie Maycock. She has a double degree in nutrition and advanced physiology, yet after graduating and pursuing a career in business recruiting, she experienced burnout twice, which left her body and mind in shambles. She could barely walk up and down the stairs, and her joints were so inflamed that it left her unable to make a fist with her hand over the next six weeks. Over an 18-month period, she ended up spending over $30,000 trying to figure out what was wrong with her body. What she realized drastically changed her life, and having turned herself around, she's dedicated to helping others get their shit together. Hey, Katie, welcome to The Change. Thank you so much for having me. What an awesome intro. Yeah, well, you wrote it, so I just grabbed it Did probably I? from your <laughs> from your website somewhere. There we somewhere. go. This has been in the talks for so long that I actually forgot that I wrote that. So there we go. Yeah, well, I may have done a little editing on it, but definitely your <laughs> words. And um, yeah, I'm I'm excited to to figure out how to get my shit together. So <laughs> first, before we get into that, you know, how's your summer going? I know it's been hot as you know what out there in the UK. So tell us what yeah. your summer's been like so far. It has been warm. It's been uncharacteristically warm over here at the moment. So we've had fires, which is really unheard of. But I'm from mm -hmm. Australia, so for me, I'm like, oh, yeah, bushfires are a thing. Mm -hmm. um, but not in the UK, they're not. So it's been really, really warm. We've got a couple of warm days coming up in the next couple of days. So mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing is a lot of people don't understand is that we're just not made. Like, we're just not made for it. So, <laughs> right. you know, our trains couldn't work, so people couldn't get to work on, you know, we had a 40 degrees Celsius, I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit, but it was hot, hot. over here. So, <laughs> yeah, it was quite warm. And obviously, most houses and apartments don't have air cons. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's been crazy. Well, how's it now? I mean, is it things kind of settled down heat-wise, kind of back to normal or still, no. still pretty no, hot? No, it's still warm. It's not, like, for me, it's fine. But then, obviously, if you look at, you know, previous years and stuff like that, we've actually had an uncharacteristic uncharacteristically warm summer so like yeah. we've got it's 28 degrees today so it's not too bad but then we've got some like 32 30, 31 days coming up so it's not we normally might have maybe have one 30 degree day but we've had quite a few this summer so yeah it's been kind of weird here in san diego um you know normally by this time here and we're recording this on august 8th so by you know by early august i mean We've had many 90 degree days, probably hit a hundred a couple of times, Fahrenheit we're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, haven't really had that. I mean, it's definitely warm now. I mean, driving in it, it was like mid seventies at you know 8.30 in the morning here, mm -hmm. um, which is gonna make for a great day, but we've not really had anything too hot. But you know, we get these, what are called Indian summers out here mm -hmm. in Southern California, where come October and November, you'll get this, you know, week long, 98 degree weather. And then everybody's like, you know, wish it because a lot of people don't have AC here either, especially the people that live along the coast. Um, mm -hmm. I have it in my bedroom, which is kind of nice because um, I think it would be hard to sleep. But, you know, in my kids bedrooms, it'll be super hot. So 
uh, we just kind of leave all the doors open in the house and hope that that our bedroom AC is going to get to the rest of the house. But yeah, I mean, so we're going to talk a little bit about burnout today, which I thought yeah. was apropos given given the burning heat that, uh, <laughs> that you guys are experiencing in the summertime. So what about anything else? Have you done any uh, travels this summer or have you, have you, have you gotten out to, to have some fun? Yeah. So fun fact, I'm actually going away. This is my final week before I take a month off. So nice. I'm off to Grand Canaria and having quite a nice break out there. So I've kind of left it until the schools go back. So the schools go back in September of this year. So I was like, I'll wait until September and I'll go away there. But I've got two weeks here where I'm just going to hang out in the UK a bit and see some friends, hang out with some family. So, yeah. All right. Well, so, you know, a lot of us here in the US, like when we go on vacation, we go, you know, relatively local places, you know, or, or, or often stay in the US. So, you know, for, for my US listeners here, tell us where are the Grand Canary Islands? I, I wouldn't even know where to put that on a map. And I have a degree in geography, which is interesting. So just think of it as off the coast of Africa but sort of on okay. the European side. So, like, obviously, geography is not my favorite thing, but it's just sort of down south, sort of on, like, it's off the coast of Africa. So it's, mm -hmm. that's where it is. Well, that sounds pretty amazing. So, yeah, hopefully yeah, you have a great I'm time excited. out there. Well, let's get into it here. So I want to, you know, in order for our audience here to kind of relate to your story and, and uh, you know, relate to the work that you're doing today, why don't you uh, take us back a bit? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know you... Um, I mentioned in the intro, you have a couple of degrees and mm -hmm. you started out in recruiting. So why don't you take us back there or earlier, wherever you want to start mm -hmm. and, uh, and, you know, get us to kind of the work that you're doing today and how you, how you arrived, um, to, uh, you know, to focusing on getting your shit together. <laughs> yeah. So I think, I think, you know, if we go back to when I was at university, I was definitely one of those kids at uni where I wanted to get really high marks. I put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, so obviously I went and did a double degree while I was doing my university degree. I set up a, I set up a business. So not only was I going to uni full-time, I was working full-time as well. So I have no idea how I found the time to do that. Um, after a really difficult period, I ended up losing my business by seriously just signing it away to somebody. So that was unfortunate for me. A very mm. good lesson to learn in your 20s. Oh, um, okay. So I ended up learning from that experience and decided, you know what, I'm going to, I want to do some corporate well-being, but to understand the corporate space, I'm going to get a corporate job first. So as most people do, they fall into recruitment. So I fell into recruitment. So this is back in Australia. And I remember when I first walked in, I was one of the only females. I was really young. Um, I was one of the youngest people there. I was 22, 23, but I probably looked like I was 15. Um, <laughs> and I remember sitting down um, and hearing people talk to me about the industry. And they're like, don't think that you're going to make a placement in the first, you know, six months of working here. You know, everyone had bets on me on how long I was going to last. Everyone had bets on me that I wasn't going to make any placements. And that was just fueling my competitive nature. So they didn't mm -hmm. know about it, but I was like internalized that. And I was like, I'm going to prove all of you people wrong. So that's exactly what I did. Nice. So I spent like six months just working my butt off in recruitment. Within my first month, I made two placements. Second month, another two or three placements. And then it just progressively went on from that. So I worked in recruitment in that job for about 18 months, won all the awards, like rookie of the year, salesperson nice. of the year, recruiter of the year, did all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, obviously made a little bit of money because you can make a little bit of money in recruitment. Mm -hmm. um, 
but during that time I was really working hard. Like I was working 12 plus hours um, every single day, um, getting up at four to go to the gym to make sure I could fit in my exercise before mm-hmm. I would go to work, getting home really late, trying to just fit in some healthy eating. Um, and then one year I just decided to take a holiday and that's when all the cracks started to show. Mm. Within the first four days of my holidays, I couldn't get out of bed. I was in Fiji. I literally couldn't enjoy my time there because I was so sick. So the first four days couldn't get out of bed. And then after that, my body just started to to shut down. Like it was really just starting to shut down. So wow. I ended up with cold sores all over my face, really bad digestive health issues. Um, I had swelling in all my joints and all of that kind of stuff. And when I got back, so I took seven, I took about 17 days off work. When okay. I got back, I was definitely Which isn't too not- crazy. I mean, that's kind of, you know. No, not crazy at all. But I thought I was taking this time off to recuperate and I ended up just getting sick. And so my mentality was I must have picked up a bug. I must have had something else going on. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started going to doctors, naturopaths, anyone that would listen to what was going on with me. And it got to the point where nothing I ate was sitting well. Um, my skin was just flaring up. I couldn't. I literally looked like I had these skinny arms and legs and this really big bloated belly, and that's what I looked like, and I couldn't get rid of that. And I ended up just getting sicker and sicker until one day I just woke up and couldn't, couldn't get out of bed. Mm. And that was when I realized I burnt out for the first time. And that was absolutely horrific. So after that, it was the first 18 months working in recruitment. I must have been like 24, 25 at the time. Um, and yeah, ended up having to walk away from work for about 18 months. Yeah. Can I stop you there for a moment? Cause yeah. I'm, I'm definitely intrigued and, and I know and can relate to exactly what you're talking about because I'm kind of like a, always been a high achiever. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's only when I, when I slow down, when things kind of crop up and reveal themselves. So did you have any mindfulness as to like during when you were just like, you know, working at your peak performance, like, I mean, had you had any signs or mindfulness to things in your body that, that were the little, you know, kind of like, Hey, (laughs) Hey, something's going on in here. Or really was it, you know, when you finally, you know, had a moment to just decompress where your body's like, okay, we're ready to break down now. So if I, when I look back now, yes, at the time I would have said this came out of nowhere. It was like, mm-hmm. it was like I, we just smacked him in the face. I don't know where it came from. Um, but no, there was definitely warning signs. I mean, during my time at university, I had the shingles four times, which is wow. unheard of for, a, you know, under 21 year old. Yeah. Um, I had kidney stones, which was from a kidney infection because I was sick. Um, and couldn't overcome it. I was getting the flu. Like every summer I would get sick and, you know, it would take me six weeks to get back on my feet. Mm. So there was definitely warning signs. And during that time there was definitely like my body going, hey, I'm not coping, but I just ignored it. Yeah. I just completely ignored it. I was just like, I'll be right. Like I just need to get – I just kept on making my diet healthier and healthier and healthier. Like I ended up having the healthiest diet you could possibly imagine. Mm Mm-hmm. But I wasn't getting any better. I was just getting sicker and sicker from that. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, quite the opposite. Not doing more, like not doubling down on my health. But like what I just, you know, I think what was revealing itself was just kind of more and more anxiety, more kind of nervous Mm -hmm. tickiness and stuff like that. And, you know, I was just kind of like, I think I was probably drinking more wine and, you know, Mm -hmm. doing other things to just kind of like uh, numb that stuff. Um, So... 
you know, it's it's just your journey with it is, is interesting. So now yeah. you're you're I think you said you were 24. You hit yeah. the burnout. Yeah. What sort of information did that present to you? I mean, where, you know, some people kind of experience that they just move on. Other people, it's like, OK, I got to change my life. Like, I cannot go on living like this. So where where did you go with that? I went with, oh, I just need a break. So I took eight months out of work. Um, I physically had to take eight months out of work. I just actually couldn't mm -hmm. work. But then I hadn't learned my lesson. So I didn't really think I had to change my life. I didn't really think I had to do anything. Um, so instead what I did was I went back into recruitment but got a promotion and moved into state for that promotion. And so mm -hmm. I went right back into the same job with more responsibilities, mm -hmm. more pressure. And let me tell you, I burnt out again the second time within six months. And then that yeah. was about a good 12 to 18 months before I was really back on my feet. And that's when I started going, oh, I think something's, there's something more going on here. I don't think it's just I'm allergic to everything I'm eating, which I genuinely thought I was allergic to everything I was eating and, mm -hmm. and, and sort of kind of like focused on that, got tunnel vision on that. And I think mm -hmm. that probably caused more anxiety. But during this stage, I was having really bad anxiety. I was having panic attacks. Um, and I just was like, yeah, I'm having panic attacks because I don't feel well, not because mm. of anything else. It wasn't because of work because I was doing really well at work. So it couldn't possibly be from work um, or the pressure that I was putting on myself. So, yeah. Now, let me ask on, on the anxiety, had you ever had panic attacks or anxiety issues before? Like, can you, even if you look back into childhood, like, mm -hmm. can you trace it back to, you know, back yeah. then? Yeah. So I've always, you know, my parents would have said I was a bit of a neurotic child. So I've always suffered from stress and anxiety, even as a kid. I mean, when I was 15, I suffered from an eating disorder, which was all linked to anxiety. Mm -hmm. But it was one of those things that I didn't really pay attention to because I've, if you've lived with anxiety your whole life, you just think it's normal until you realize, oh, this isn't normal. Yes. And I was quite a quiet quick kid. So no one knew I was suffering from stress or anxiety. My my body, you know, betrayed me. But like mm -hmm. I wouldn't ever let anyone know that I wasn't coping because in my head I was fine. Yeah, I mean, I, I looking back, I, I think I've always had a, a – a various level of probably heightened anxiety just you know mm -hmm. it would be really high at times and i developed this nervous tick thing and then and and yeah to your point like i think i just had developed a belief system that i'm just a nervous person or i'm just like anxious and you know and or something's wrong with me and it really yeah. wasn't until i mean in the last year and a half or two years where like you know i can now trace it back to where it all comes from mm -hmm. and you know, there's nothing wrong with me. It's, you know, many of us deal with anxiety for various reasons and it absolutely sucks. And I think we've just kind of privately suffered with it and, you know, perhaps built belief systems that, you know, it, it, it must be us. It can't yeah. be, you know, because everybody else seems fine. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't know what people are going through because, you know, nobody really shares, you know, publicly everything that goes on privately but you know there's a perception where you know if you're suffering from something that's those are the moments where you look around and everybody seems to be doing great but you right yeah. you ever kind of deal with anything like of that of course we all compare ourselves to other people so we'll take a snippet of someone else's life and then compare ourselves which feels like you know how house our, our whole house is burning down and we're comparing it to what we're perceiving as someone's perfect life and we're like how do they not struggle i remember when i was 
young, my brother doesn't suffer from stress or anxiety. And I was like, how are you so chilled out? Like, how? Like, what? what's wrong with me and why are you so chilled out? So, you know, we always compare ourselves to when everyone else, what we perceive is doing really, really well and we feel like, you know, how our whole life is on fire. Yeah, and I, you know, I think a lot of it is probably the result of social media too because we mm-hmm. we see these Instagram perfect lives and people living van a van life and having a great <laughs> little van with their dog and and you know out on some mountain somewhere and 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 we kind of idealize those situ- like we think oh well their their life must be wrapped up to this Instagram story like that that mm-hmm. must be how every day is for them right but uh you know, I mean, that's kind of why I, I do what I do here on the change is just to kind of talk about these more and just kind of bring out more stories. I, I think I think we all I think everybody, especially with the pandemic, I mean, we all deal with a lot of stress and anxiety. You know, some people are able to like it sounds like you and me for so long, just kind of like ignore it or, mm-hmm. you know, kind of be blind to it versus other people like like my wife is very mindful to this stuff. She's always been, I always give her like, you know, kudos whenever I'm like, man, like it took me a long time to kind of get to that place where you're at, but you just like right away, you knew you weren't feeling well. You immediately traced it to what was going on. Oh yeah. We got this big RV trip next week. And so there's a lot of planning that goes into that. So, but everybody's different. And that's kind of the point I wanted to make is like, we don't all need to compare ourselves like with where we're at in our journey. Some people may be more mindful and and recognize when things need to change. Other people just, you know, there's a little bit more to unravel, but that's, that's the beauty. I mean, those, everybody's got these, you know, really unique, authentic and sophisticated lives that, that you bring, you know, to share with others around you. And that's probably the point is, you know, we're all going through different journeys, but we're all kind of experiencing a lot of the same sets of emotions and things. And you know, how we share that and relate to each other is really, I think, where a lot of the healing can be. So yeah. let's go there. So let's let's kind of fast forward to, you know, the healing part of your journey where you, you know, now are suffering your second burnout. <laughs> You're recognizing you kind of put yourself back back on the hamster wheel. And so how did you finally decide to do something that was going to take you on a path of healing? So what was really interesting at this time as well, so when I was a nutritionist, I actually, so I'm a nutritionist by trade, just so for everyone out there, um, when I was a nutritionist, I actually specialized in gut health. And when you specialize in gut health, you start seeing a trend when you meet people. And more often than not, these people are quite stressed out people, they're quite anxious, they've got quite hectic lifestyles. And so once I burned out the second time, and a lot of my health issues was gut health issues, so I had allergies and tolerances, I had IBS, inflammatory bowel disease like you know I was ticking all the boxes here um and so when I so when I finally burnt out the second time I mean it was absolutely horrific it was 10 times worse than the first time around Mm. and I just remember sitting there thinking to myself because I was going to the doctors I was going to all these GPs and I was going to all these naturopaths I tried everything and they all said oh you're mismanaging stress but they said it in a really nonchalant way I was just like oh you don't seem to be two-faced about it why should I be two-faced about it Mm-hmm. But that was like playing in the back of my mind. And I remember thinking to myself, hang a second, you've done a double degree. Why don't you go back and actually look at the impact that stress has on your physical health? And so that's what I did. I went back and started researching and looking at what does stress actually do to our physical health? And then I spent 
months if not years compiling all this information and really understanding hang on a second stress is absolutely horrific for our physical health and making that more tangible for people so once I made it more tangible for myself I ended up creating what is now known as get your shit together literally and figuratively where we talk about the impact that stress has on our physical health our mindset and therefore performance as well so that's essentially what I did but I ended up having to really understand that Yes, even though my diet was really healthy and I was eating all the anti-inflammatory foods and I was taking care of myself, I was exercising and I was meditating, I realized I was doing it all wrong. Like I was focusing on those things that were meant to be good for me, but I'd put so much pressure on myself to make them perfect and be perfect. It was actually adding mm. to my stress. Yeah. So I actually had to start really digging down and understanding stress and understanding what were my triggers, why, where was it coming from. A lot of it was from perfectionism. And feeling like I had to be perfect and I always felt like I was running a marathon like I was sprinting a marathon is what I call it so a lot of it was really understanding my stress my triggers and really understanding what tools do I need to actually support me through that and really had to sort of look at my anxiety um, and really getting to know myself a little bit better rather than I'm a professional I'm motivated I'm driven and this is who I am which I presented to the world and who I believed I was so you know, I'm, I'm intrigued because you brought up about triggers and I'm about to kind of post a, a little short episode just talking about triggers because mm-hmm. there's kind of two mindsets on them. Triggers that you want to run away from and you don't mm-hmm. want to have, like you want to avoid people or experiences or things that are triggering mm-hmm. versus embracing the triggers, learning mm-hmm. from the triggers putting yourself in a situation where you're going to be triggered because that's, you know, those are the experiences that are going to help you like take hold of your and own your triggers. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause they can be informative and they can give you lessons. What, I mean, what, where's your mind on triggers? Like, do you, you know, do you think they should be avoided or do you think we should embrace them? I think it depends on the trigger, right? So let's say you are in an abusive relationship, whether it's with a friend, a partner, or you've got a parent or anything like that, and you've done everything, you've put all your boundaries in place, and it doesn't matter what you do, they're still going to trigger your anxiety. It's still not going to be a healthy relationship. It's really quite toxic. Sure, remove that. Why would you keep something in there where there's nothing to learn from it? There's, there's, mm-hmm. There has to be a reciprocal um, approach to that, Right. Um, sure, but then there has to be an element of understanding what if that is triggering your stress and anxiety, what can we do to look at it in a different way? And I think a lot of the times when we're looking at stress and anxiety, we can't actually remove all triggers. Otherwise, we're going to be shell of a human being and it's not going to be good for us. So we've got to understand if we can't remove it, how can we cope with it? What can we do to put ourselves in right. situations to see it maybe a little bit differently, reframe it, look at it, um, like lean into that discomfort, understand it and own it a little bit. And I think that that's really important. So I think it really depends on the trigger and what it is. So, for instance, I had to stop putting so much pressure on myself to be mm-hmm. perfect and kind of come back down to a baseline which was manageable and sustainable and putting systems and processes in place to keep me in check to make sure that I wasn't trying to be, wasn't putting too much pressure on myself to be the best version of myself all the time because that's unrealistic and that was what I had to do. But that's not to say, because to be fair, like, when I set up, get your shit together. I don't, I don't miss a heartbeat when I'm, if I'm, if I'm going to do a project, I'm going to do it wholeheartedly. Like I moved to yeah. the UK. I had 10 Aussie dollars in my bank account and that's all I had. And I had to make get your shit together work overnight. Obviously that was pressure. Obviously that was stress, 
that was fine for me. I was cool with that. But then mm-hmm. what I had to make sure I managed was, hey, you're going to make mistakes and that's okay. And that's fine. You're going to have hurdles to jump over and that's also okay. Instead yeah. of actually not doing that, I was like, go into it knowing that you're not going to be perfect. Knowing, like, I do public speaking. I love it. I do workshops. I do events. I do all these things. Do you know what? I have bombed a few talks and that, and at the end of the day, I haven't not done those talks. I've gone and lent into them and I didn't beat myself up about it. And that's what I had to do. So I think it's definitely understanding who you are. If you're a type A perfectionist, it actually might be removing some of those pressures from you and actually getting a bit more of a realistic, sustainable approach to life rather than, but you don't want to avoid everything, right? It's being a bit kinder to yourself. Does that make sense? It makes a hundred percent like total sense to me. And I'm, I'm an advocate for Tara Brock's rain method that um, mm-hmm. you could you could find online, read more about it. But it's like recognize, allow, investigate and nurture. Mm-hmm. I've, got, I've got I've got something similar. I call it the four step process, which is acknowledge, breathe, understand, action. Yeah. And I think what you've been touching on and it sounds like where your a lot of your healing has been is in that nurturing aspect mm-hmm. of of this rain acronym. And, you know, I I, I was there, too. I mean. In looking at my anxiety and stress and and building this belief system that something was wrong with me, I mean, I was really doing myself a disservice. And the number one area of healing for me has been nurturing, like Mm -hmm. recognizing all the great qualities that I have, recognizing that I'm, you know, I've been doing my best to to build a great life for myself and my family. And, you know, and and I, I think there's so much. It's such an easy kind of, you know, I guess it's an easy way to conceptualize like where the healing needs to go. Okay, I need to be more nurturing to myself. Like it is a little hard to get there. You know, I think journaling and doing things to put yourself in a situation where you can reflect and then offer those nurturing words, writing them down. I I think, you know, when you kind of just get into the habit of doing that, it it very quickly becomes mm-hmm. part of your thought process. We just get stuck in these mm-hmm. mindsets that you can undo. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you were able to find that as well for yourself. Yeah. So I think for me it was, you know, I I could do a like I could do ninety nine things right and one thing wrong, and I would just so focus on that one thing mm-hmm, and totally. live in that one thing, and then not be able to break past that. And that's still a habit. I've got to get out of that habit, but I have to be able to acknowledge I have to have the self-awareness enough to recognize what I'm doing. And sometimes it's like, well, this is where my head's at. Like, I'm not going to feed it. I'm not going to buy it. I'm not going to, like, live in it for too long. But that's where my head's at right now, but I'm not going to pay it mind. Like, I'm going to go do something that's positive, like go for a walk or something like that. And I think something that I used to try and do, because when I used to meditate, it was like trying to control my thoughts which is mm-hmm. if you've ever tried to control your thoughts, it's absolutely impossible. I don't care what yeah. anyone says. It's being able to be what I figured out what meditation was, was allowing the thoughts to come in but not latching onto them. So allowing the thoughts to sort of cruise through and then like shift my focus to breathing or something like that. But I remember I would be, of course, I'm a perfectionist. So when I was meditating, I was like, I have to do it for 30 minutes and I can't think. So if I'd thought about something, I'd failed. And so, therefore, mm. I lived. I was constantly stressed out in the mornings when I'm trying to meditate. Yeah. Um, and I made it a competition. Of course, I did. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. So, I think it's, like, re- recognizing recognizing that. And I think negative mindsets are really common. Um, I mean, yeah. we're primed to be on the lookout for negative things. It's just 
what we're primed well, to Well, I mean, so to I your sh- point you just made, it's it's so weird that we do that. Like, we've done a 99 great things that we could pat ourselves on the back, and then the one thing we kind of tripped over our own feet, and we just focus on that one thing. Isn't yeah. it really interesting that we kind of, as, as a species, that we do that? Yeah. We're trying to make sense of, like, what's going to cause us danger, so we'll create a narrative around why that will cause us danger. Like, I can walk away from a smashing review of a, a workshop or a webinar or a talk and I'll walk away with like, yeah, but I stumbled my words there or I didn't mean to say that or that didn't land so well. Like even though everyone's like 10 out of 10 great, like would it matter yeah. to me? Yeah. I guess, you know, for people that are always trying to improve, it's like you always, you're always kind of analyzing, right? And mm-hmm. trying to figure out where to improve and where to get better. Probably a lot of that is just related to, um, you know, just our general makeup as animals with fight or flight yeah. and, and trauma mm-hmm. responses and stuff like that. But I want to um, I want to talk about. So you so we've spoken about get your shit together mm-hmm. and now you have Omnia. Um, so tell mm-hmm. us about Omnia and, you know, the work that you do there and um, kind of how that complements the, the get your shit together work. Yeah. So when I set up get your shit together, it was sort of figuring out who I could help. So when I first started get your shit together, it was meant to be there to support women in their 20s, early 30s with managing stress and and, um, preventing burnout and ended up actually not being that. I ended up attracting more middle-aged men who were CEOs, managing directors who just couldn't manage what was going on with stress um, and anxiety. So I was getting a lot of leaders coming into me asking for support. So I created Get Your Shit Together based around that. And then after the last few years, like I've done so much, done a lot of webinars, I've done a lot of workshops, but I recognized I wasn't having the impact with the companies and the people that I really wanted to unless I was doing one-on-one coaching. So what I wanted to do was evolve Get Your Shit Together into something that was actually going to be more affordable and accessible for people that work in high-performance industries, um, busy roles, like startups and things like that, and make it accessible for the employees as well as the leaders. So the idea is to actually support businesses from the top down, helping them manage stress at a functional level within their organisation, as well as from the bottom up, helping their employees support their own stress and preventing burnout. Because obviously stress isn't just from the workplace, it comes from multiple different areas. So if you can give all these people, like you can give the leaders, people managers, all the tools that they need to be the best leader for themselves. So to manage their stress and prevent their burnout, because if you've got a stressed, burnt out leader, the likelihood of that filtering down into the organization is quite high. So if oh, yeah. we can help them manage their stress, prevent their burnout, but then also give them the skills to spot stress and burnout within their teams and then what to do how to overcome that, or actually how to prevent burnout within their teams. That's what we're doing with the leaders. And then obviously with the teams and the employees, what we're doing is helping them uh, manage their stress and prevent their burnout on an organisational level. So really trying to nurture that, an organisational change, change of culture, um, and making that more, um, making companies more sustainable, making people more sustainable, rather than all that pressure. Yeah, and you just kind of set me up perfectly. So um, I pulled a, um, it was a testimonial uh, from Jay Ludgrove on, I, I believe it was on your <laughs> LinkedIn. And uh, I just wanted to read this quote. I, I just thought it was amazing. It's about spotting burnout in team members, which is what you were just touching on. Meeting Katie may have saved our business. After the pandemic, we, much like all businesses, 
had all worked far too many hours for far too many months. I attended a webinar that Katie hosted around spotting burnout in your employees. This short hour webinar continues to pay dividends. I've helped at least three people spot their own signs of burnout, and we've been able to implement processes, again taught by Katie, to assist these people in reducing their stress levels to avoid full burnout. So, you know, tell us what you spoke about. I mean, how, you know, people listening to this this episode here, how can how can we spot burnout, you know, in ourselves, in our team members, and what can we do about that? Yeah, so I think the first thing that I always talk about is that burnout's a destination. There's a journey that precedes it, right? So it's not, if you get to the end of burnout or if you've got someone in your team that's at burnout level, the likelihood of that person either resigning is significantly high. We're like talking about 92% likely to resign Mm -hmm. and not come back. So you're looking at losing a team member. So what you actually need to be able to do is look at all the warning signs and you've got to look at it from three, you've got to look at at three separate um, modules, right? So you've got to look at it from their physical health. Now they're going to be, once their physical health goes, we're looking at stage four for burnout at that. So that actually is quite dangerous to wait for somebody to be at stage four yeah. burnout. They're actually hop, skip and a jump to full burnout at that stage. Whereas what you want to actually start paying attention to is behavioral changes, the little subtle changes that you've started noticing about people. And I think one of the biggest things that you've got to understand is that most burnout can, not most, but some burnout can come from an actual positive thing. So, for instance, you start a new role, you start a new job, um, you get promoted, whatever it is, you can end up being really excited. And what can end mm-hmm. up happening is is that you start changing habits. So, you don't go to the gym as much, you're not sleeping as much, you're not having a healthy diet as much. And all these little things that don't seem significant at the time will and can add up. So, I'll put pause here. So when I burnt out, I sacrificed my sleep significantly. Like I Mm -hmm. was getting four to six hours a night thinking I was completely fine. There was no dramas with that. And a lot of people will say, yeah, yeah, I function fine off like four to six hours of sleep, which is the science says completely the opposite. Oh, I was there too. I I (laughs) told that story and I know, yeah, where are you going with this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so many. So, at the end of the day, a lot of people don't rec- realize we need seven to nine hours of sleep every night. And mm-hmm. you, will, people will tell me, leaders in particular, all business owners or startup um, founders will tell me until they're blue in the face. No, no, no. I'm one of those like point one percent of the people that don't need seven to nine hours of sleep. I'm like, nope, that's not true. Um, the likelihood of you being that person is so minimal that is probably not true. So that's something that a lot of people tell themselves. Yeah. So that's just something to pay attention to within yourself as well as the people that are around you. If you've seen somebody start stop going to the gym as much, you recognize that they might not be sleeping. They may be saying, like, oh, I didn't get a good night's sleep last night or I only got four hours of sleep last night and maybe actually talking about it like it's a badge of honor. Right. Pay attention to those things, right? Like a lot of us will say that because it's like, I work so hard, I stayed up until midnight, I was back up at four, like – They want to pat on the back. And you'll Mm -hmm. find that people will start working longer hours as well. What you've got to be really careful if you're a manager is actually positive reinforcing that. So it's really easy to see somebody working really hard, working longer hours, going, oh, my gosh, you're so passionate about your job. Thank you so much. Well done. Because what you're actually doing is, is you're actually telling that person that's what they need to do, especially if they're getting good results, right? Mm. But that's something else to pay attention to. Then you've got to start thinking about other behavioral changes that can happen within yourself or somebody that you've worked with. So some other things to pay attention to might be personality changes or, like I said, behavioral changes. So if someone's gone from being cool, calm, and collected to being quite, 
what one of my uh, leaders said to me the other day, it's shouty and angry. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, that's something to pay attention to if it's out of character or if it's happening more frequently than you think it should. You know, that's something else to pay attention to. The other side of the other flip side of that is maybe someone's been really outgoing, really energetic, and then they've actually become a little bit more withdrawn. They're not offering as much information. They're, you know, they're not getting engaged in conversations at work and things like that. That's another pretty big warning sign that they're midway through to getting to, to burnout as well. So that's some some of the things there. And one of the last things that you really want to make sure that someone, if a pretty big sign that someone's sort of quite close to burnout is the apathy phase. And at the apathy phase, that's when leaders typically put more pressure on. They don't actually reduce, they don't ask questions like, why aren't you doing your work and all those kind of things. And that can be quite, that can be quite dangerous if someone's, it's not that they don't care, they just don't have the capacity to care because they're so overwhelmed. Mm. But I think the other thing is as well, if you're a leader of an organization and someone's performance randomly drops and it's, and it's gone from being really, really good and then all of a sudden they've got been progressively getting worse that's a conversation. That's a, hey, what's going on? Yeah. I've noticed you've made some mistakes. Hey, you don't seem to be performing at what you used to be doing. Is everything all right? A lot of leaders at that stage, what do they do? They put more pressure on. Yeah. And that could actually be causing more damage than good. So I, I interviewed a guy named Jason Loritzen on um, was either the previous episode or the one before that. And his his advice that he gives to leaders and managers is, you know, always be doing a check-in mm-hmm. and instead of just having kind of like an open-ended, like, how are you doing? Like, and he did it with me. It was actually quite interesting. He's like, so, you know, scale of one to 10 today, how are you doing? I do. And I, you know, when he interviewed me, I'm like, well, yeah, kind of maybe like, like a six. And that kind of opens the door a little bit to kind of maybe unravel that, see how willing that person is to go there with you. And, you know, based on the safety that you create in that conversation, like, yep. you know, you can, you can really help somebody. Um, but you gotta be doing those frequently. You gotta, yep. you gotta do it, you know, during normal times, but also, you know, in the times where somebody may be showing signs of burnout, like you say. Yeah, I do that. I do that with all my leaders. I get all my leaders to do the, I do it zero to 10. Um, and what I say to the leaders, if you've got somebody that's at a five mm-hmm. and they've consistently, and you don't ever want to go. Well, why are you a five? Because that's too. That that might be too. They may not want to open up about it. Yet, exactly. Right? Yeah. So they they might not want to be vulnerable, right? So one of mm-hmm. the best questions you can as a follow up question. It's like, okay, you're at a five. What will help you get closer to a ten? Like, what will get you to a six? What and what can mm. I do to support you to be like able that. to do that? And then you actually have an idea of what's going on. It might actually not be work. It might actually be home life, and it might actually be oh, do you know what, I didn't sleep last night, my kids were really loud or they kept me up all night or whatever it was. And then you actually know, oh, okay, cool, like what what can I do today to support you to sort of take a little bit of pressure off you? Yeah. And that just gives you an open – one thing is you're also getting that person to focus forward, not backwards, which is really important. Um, But you're also creating a safe space for that person to open up. If they feel like it, you don't want to ever pressure them but you're also giving them the opportunity to let them know what they need from you. And what you also can do with the the scaling system is actually just keep note of what people have said. So if someone says they're a five and you know what would get them closer to a six would be like, I didn't sleep very well last night. And there's been a five can, every time you've spoken to them, it's, you can actually go, hey, like, you know, really calm. Like, hey, you've been a five for a little bit. Is there something I can help you with? You know, you've not, we're not getting you to that six. Like what, what can I do, right? So you're actually helping that person understand that you're actually paying attention and you're caring about that person. 
Yeah, totally. Um, I wanted to ask, like, you know, I know it's been a couple of years here, like what, two and a half years or so since the, the pandemic <laughs> started. Like what, yeah. you know, what have you noticed in your conversations with, you know, business leaders or, or otherwise, you know, in terms of how people are dealing with burnout related to the pandemic, the working from home. And, you know, a lot of people still are working from home. Offices have not been reopened. So, you know, I guess share with us a little bit about, you know, how the pandemic's been affecting burnout. So I think one of the biggest things, I know the stats in the UK, I might be able to pull some US um, stuff from from my memory bank. Um, but before the pandemic, I think what organizations have to know is that so there was a server that went around and it was saying that 79% of employees were already feeling stressed and close to burnout pre-pandemic, mm-hmm. pre-pandemic. During the pandemic, that exponentially increased. You know, yeah. we saw companies like Bumble, Nike, was it Microsoft as well, giving their teams a week off to combat burnout. I think that was back, was it last year or 2020 at something? No, probably last year, I would say. And that's something that we've we've all recognized that burnout was a big thing. So you've got two camps, well, from what I've seen, is you've got the people that are like, oh, my gosh, the pandemic shone a light on something that was already really bad, which burnout was already really bad pre-pandemic. Because you've also got to remember yeah. the World Health Organization only made it a diagnosable syndrome in 2019. Mm. So we before that, it was like a really vague thing. We used yeah. it, but it wasn't really like, you know, we might have called it something else. Um, so that's something else to keep in, in, in the back of our minds. But the pandemic has significant, significantly increased the number of people that are struggling with stress and burnout um, at really high levels. But you've also got the camp of people that are going, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do about this? But then you've got the other camp, and it's like, well, the pandemic's over. Obviously, it was a pandemic issue, so let's just get on with it. And you've got the people on the the first camp that are looking actively for what they can do, bringing in external help, looking at how they can train their managers, looking at their culture, all that kind of stuff. But then you've got the other people that's quite difficult to talk to because they're like, why is my turnover increased by like 10% mm-hmm. or 20%? Um, why are my profits down? You know, and we can look at, I mean, obviously the recession, the upcoming sure. re- potential recession could be a thing, but mm-hmm. it's also looking at, well, if you've got high turnover, we've got the big resina- resignation that also happened across mm-hmm. the globe. Yeah. Um, you know, burnout would have been a significant problem from that. And here's the thing. Those people that left those jobs because they were burnt out and they entered new jobs, they're still burnt out. They just are in a new job feeling burnt out. So right. we've got to pay attention to that as well. I guess one last question I'll I'll have for you is, I mean, do you think, you know, these conversations around burnout, the changes in business, I mean, are you know, now the pandemic is kind of like subsiding. Are we are we gonna go back or are we gonna make progress? And are we gonna go forward with with a lot of these new ways that businesses are gonna get done? I'm an ever optimistic so i would say it's going to every there's going to be some really good positive changes i think at the end of the day they might not be as extreme as we need them to be but i don't think they should be extreme we need to figure out what's working and what's not working and i think one of the mistakes a lot of organizations do when they go we want to prevent burnout we want to overcome it we don't want any of our staff to staff to feel burnout instead of actually getting a pulse check of understanding how stressed is your team um, what's actually the cause of burnout within your organization? You see these companies that are like implementing these, oh, extra time off or four-day work weeks or whatever it is. They're all good things if it's actually solving the actual p- the pain point in your organization. So right. I think 
We're going to see some good changes and we're going to see some trials of new ideas that may or may not work. It might work for one organisation, but not another organisation. But I think we are, the conversation hasn't died down. We're still talking about burnout. We're still moving in the right direction. Um, so I think that we're going to get there. I think we're going to get there. Well, this has been a very enjoyable conversation. Um, thank you for sharing your experiences with burnout. And uh, like I said, I, I could supremely relate to them um, as I, I think the same contributing factors led to you know times when I burned out. So thanks for sharing your story. Thanks for you know sharing what you do. It's been a pleasure to speak to you today. Yeah, right back at you. Katie Maycock is passionate about ending burnout. It's a big goal, but it's something that needs to happen. She's been working with leaders and companies, helping them design their well-being strategies to ensure that their teams and they themselves are performing at their best sustainably. She originally set up Get Your Shit Together to support CEOs, MDs, and leaders manage their stress and burnout and support their team with physical health, mindset, and business structure. And that's evolved now to Omnia. Omnia is all about crafting bespoke well-being strategies for fast-paced organizations. You can read more about Katie on our website, eiqmediallc.com slash the change. Our theme song and sound engineering was provided by Shane Supridi. You can listen to more of Shane's music at www.shanesupridi.com. If you have a story to share about making a difference in the lives of people you lead, or if you want to tell us what you think about our podcast, send me an email at thechange at eiqmediallc.com. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time on The Change. The Change is produced and distributed by EIQ Media, LLC. Elevate your emotional IQ with podcasts and content focused on leadership, mental health, entrepreneurship, and more. 